Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Adam Hawkins, and today I'm excited to have a conversation with two friends and co-workers, Chad Lawson and Jenna Hernandez. Chad is the mobilization minister here at Citizens Church, and Jenna is in our college ministry called College Life. She's been doing that for a long time, discipling other women and men to know the Lord. She's doing that at the University of Texas at Dallas, and she is also part of Citizens Church staff. So guys, I'm super excited to have y'all on the show with us. And I think it's going to be an interesting topic. We're going to talk a little bit about living on mission or life on mission. We're going to talk about what are the cultural assumptions, maybe things that non-believers assume about missions. Um, Maybe what are some of the things you guys run into as you're out there um, doing this work. Uh, You're in the harvest, so to speak. And then maybe even more importantly, we're going to talk about what Christians sort of nominally assume about missions and see if we can't bring some clarity or set the record straight. Okay, guys, so let me throw a couple of mine out, and then I'll ask you what you think the assumptions are. Um, I remember being young and in church, and it was like a missions weekend, and there were two stories that I distinctly remember from that time. Uh, You know, the the church was kind of showing the work they did. They put uh, invited some missionaries, you know, from far away to send some videos in and to update us what was going on, and there were these two stories. The first was sort of the high school trip to a very reached area that they were visiting people who were already Christians who were maybe poor, uh, impoverished areas and doing like service projects, right? Um, and I think that was exciting for the students and they were talking about the work they got to do. And then on the other side, there were missionaries who were overseas, I think in Papua New Guinea, and they were in hard soil. They had lived there for decades and uh, these missionaries were basically updating us about the hard soil, right? And updating us about the fruit that God was bringing to those ministries. And for some reason, what stuck in my mind just as I got older was the service project one. And so I remember coming on staff uh, at the Village Church and starting to hear about missions and what just was in my mind, I don't know why I automatically thought of it, but was the short-term quick trip to do something more related to like relieving suffering somewhere. Let's just to, you know, a benevolence type trip for you guys. What do you think is out there in the, you know, in the ether as it relates to just, if you were to ask a, you know, Joe Fithrow kind of person, what's missions or what's living on mission? Um, you know, what, what do you think they'd say? When it comes to overseas missions, I think their first picture in their brain is, uh, a trip to probably a third world country. Right. It's probably somebody who's uh, like a super Christian that has it all together. Um, probably somebody that also is a little bit weird and quirky. That's good. That would yeah. be interested in this. Somebody that they may not be friends with even themselves, but somebody that they would just, they would think that's great. I could never do that, but I'm glad they do that. And think maybe very little about what it takes to actually go overseas. Um, I think that's what maybe a, a, a Joe Fifthrow or whatever you yeah, called him sure. would think. Yeah, I think the person outside of the church may even, as we become more secularized, may even disagree with the idea of introducing uh, Christianity into a different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, they would think of it as almost westernizing 
this culture in a way that 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 society isn't asking for this. So why would you bring our beliefs, our views, our um, our thoughts? Why would you introduce that into that culture? Why don't you just leave it alone? That's really interesting. I was in Japan once, and they have these trees in the temples, and you kind of like tie a. You can write something. I forget exactly. I'm, I'm probably butchering this, but you can kind of like write a prayer on a piece of paper or something or a wood block. I don't remember, and then you tie it to the tree. And I remember you. We were reading. My wife and I were there, and we were there with a friend who's not a believer, and we were reading some of the prayers, and most of them were in Japanese, we couldn't see, but there was an English one, and it said that the people of Japan would come to know Jesus, and mm. my friend was so angry. He thought of it the exact same way you were just saying. He was like, why would, that's so Western, that's so, you know, ethnocentric almost in a sense, right? right. Uh, or, or just culturally insensitive, maybe, would be the way of saying it. And I remember being a little shocked by his you know, by that sentiment. Um, but yeah, I think you're dead on. I think people kind of probably see it as offensive or at least culturally offensive, right? Right. They, almost like colonizing, like this yeah. is what colonizers do or something. Even with that aspect of believing that as a goer overseas specifically, I think the assumption is that it has to be as a full-time minister, like mm. as a full-time, um, I am just sharing the gospel. I'm at this place. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Whereas, I think a lot of people forget like that there's opportunities to do your job, your your um, non-ministry job in a place where there are lost or unreached people. And it's like, well, I can't do X, Y, and Z, or I'm not skilled, um, but I am skilled somewhere and I can do that somewhere else um, outside of this. Man, so the three takeaways, y'all's were way better than mine because I think they <laughs> hit the nail on the head. Um, but it's either that we have sort of a lower view of, of mission work, like we don't really understand it. It's that thing you do in high school, maybe where you go on like a short-term trip. Uh, and maybe the goal isn't necessarily, these are these are unstated assumptions, but maybe the goal isn't to make disciples, but it's to like build a house or do something for poor people. You know, um, I'm speaking pejoratively. Maybe it's that uh, the people who do missions are like super Christians. They're a little bit weird, or it's for those people who go overseas. Yeah. It's not for you know just any believer. Uh, there's this special category of weird people who do this thing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. And then maybe from outside the church, it's maybe a little. I'm sure you know uh, confused like confusing that you would do that. Uh, and then probably as we become more secular to your point, Chad, uh, it'll be something that's more offensive. And right. and that's probably true even at home, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, One of our missionaries uh, was speaking with me a few months back and it was something about this comment that was so uh, human that it just struck me. Uh, she asked, asked for things that we could be praying for her about on the field. And one of her prayer requests was she just wanted to get a cat. She loves cats. She wanted to get a cat, and uh, she was mm. a little bit lonely. And it was just seemed like such a simple, genuine human mm. need that almost I was like in my mind, I almost it was like beneath a missionary to have a basic need like that because they're living in this place of high Christian marks all the time. And it, it was a it was a comment mm. that struck me and just the simplicity of it all. And it reminded me that I often associate all missionaries as living in this other plane, this other realm, um, and really they just have a, a clearer picture of obedience than maybe many others do. Mm. That's really awesome. I want to get there. 
uh, because they're obedient to something. And I think what we'd say is they're obedient to a call. Maybe it's obedient to the scripture or the call on the life of the believer. Uh, so let's go there. So we, we've sort of outlined what are some you know misnomers, what are some assumptions people make, both within and without the church. Um, but let's get to what the Bible actually says. Maybe before we answer that specifically, or maybe this will tease it out, but why should we care about this idea of living missionally? Maybe somebody wants to offer a definition of life on mission or something like that, but why should should Christians, why should this occupy our thoughts? Um, well, for one, it is the picture, the plan that God has set out for us. Mm-hmm. Like his plan is multiplication. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at Genesis and he says to Adam and Eve, their their job was to multiply and fill the earth. And then when sin entered, uh, and they were to do that as image bearers. And then when sin entered the picture, then we had a spiritual spiritual call for us to go and multiply. So God's plan didn't change. We were still called to go and to multiply and fill the earth with other image bearers of His. And so uh, His His plan, His one and only plan, is for us to be the bearers of this message to share the gospel. Um, if it is good news, then why would we not share it with others? And so this is the plan. This is what he's called us into. It's not for some. It's not for a select few. It's not for uh, church staff only. It's it's for all to go and to make disciples of all nations. Um, and so th- that's that's the plan. That's our call. That's the the biblical mandate, if you would, uh, for us to for multiplication, for us to fill the fill the earth um, and to glorify His name. Yeah, and even with that, I think um, when I first became a believer, I was really good at like the, oh, this is what obedience looks like. I can check a box really easy. Like I can walk in mm-hmm. obedience. Mm-hmm. That's the logistics of that is easier for me to to see. I see this command. Okay, I'm going to try to live out this command. Um, and kind of what came secondary for me was the compassion aspect um, the fact that, and I think even to what you're saying, like this is God, the gospel is good news. Um, why wouldn't we want to share that? And if we remember when we first became mm. Christians and mm. what that meant for us, what God rescued us out of and to want that for others and that, to see that Christ stepped down in all humility to do this, to share this message, to bring us the gospel and to remember that for ourselves, but also what we see him live out as he's as he's doing mission work um, mm-hmm. on on the earth, and as he sees the crowds as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, um, do I feel that compassion? And if, I, if I'm a Christian and if my life is looking more like Christ and he's aligning my heart with his, then I, I will have compassion and I will want to see the harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, and I will want them to know the shepherd. Um, I will want to see that happen. And And... I think even also adding to that, it's like I get to be in that harvest um, and I'm not really doing any actual work. God is doing that work, mm. but I get to be with God. I get to be with my father as he's doing that work. And, and that's the best part of all. That's really beautiful. You know, as I think about it, I love how you guys kind of connected some things, but this idea, you guys correct me, but it's like very early on in Genesis, you see the, some call it the cultural mandate, but to be fruitful and multiply, right? Um, to to fill the earth with other image bearers. Sin enters the world, but very quickly we see God's plan while it's while it um, it doesn't it doesn't change. 
with Abraham, he tells him, I'm going to make out of you, your descendants are going to, you know, number the stars. So, in, in, you know, just a, an amount of descendants you can't count. Uh, and I'm going to make them a holy priesthood, a nation, right? The idea was in the Old Testament that um, through Abraham's line, God will create a people who will mediate or or show God's love, image God's love into the world. That's the priesthood language. So you have that with Abraham. That goes forward. We could talk a whole lot more, but in a sense, that's what the church is today. That very same thing happening in Genesis, the promise to Abraham again in Genesis, moving forward to the church of Jesus saying, hey, I'm ushering in a kingdom, and then giving a commission to his people to say the same thing. I'm making you into a people and that people is going to be a priesthood, and those priests are going to bear my image throughout the world, and you're going to be people who are filled with my spirit, right? So um, that that the the linear nature, you know, that with of that story, and Jenna, then tying it to what you're saying is, it's not that God needs us; it's that He chooses. This is this is the way He chooses to show Himself to the world is through His people that that we now call the church, and there's just such a privilege in that. And the and by doing that, by being with the Father in this work, we actually, though it may not be the direct point, we actually get joy from it. It 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 gives us a purpose. It all of a sudden changes a life that can feel meaningless to a life that feels full of mission, missional purpose. Which maybe that's the definition of life on mission, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I think it was two thousand six. I'm a huge sports fan, and the Mavs are like my number one sports team. Uh, 2006, I'm all in on the Mavs playoff run. I can remember every game. I get excited about it. And that was now, you know, 16 years ago. And I don't have a lot of excitement or happiness that I'm still holding on to from 2006, that summer when the Mavs got all the way to the NBA Finals. Summer of 2006, I went on a, a trip. Uh, my wife, uh, who's really wise, uh, felt a calling uh, for us to go, and we had the summer available, so we went. We ended up going to Japan, and in that summer, uh, I got a front row view of some things that the Lord did that summer. And in that summer, I was able to share and minister to a woman who eventually ended up giving her life to Christ, and. Uh, I was able to baptize her mm. one night in, in the summer of 2006 uh, after she had told her story, um, shared her testimony, and gave her life to Christ that very night. Myself and two other women in this Japanese church, in this Japanese house church, went into the bathroom. Uh, the whole church gathered around in a very large Japanese bathtub. <laughs> we, The three of us baptized her that night. Wow. And I still have joy from that night in 2006, from this thing that is an eternal thing that will matter 10,000 years from now, mm-hmm. that will change the legacies of people that come behind her. Um, and I, it was like that summer, It was a, there was a very straight comparison between the joys that, I've been, that I could chase after in my life from you know, watching the Mavs to jobs to money to things like that that I could chase after that would bring very temporary happiness to a thing like this that would bring joy that I still feel 16 years later from getting this experience. And with that, my affections are stirred for the Lord. And it's just something that makes, it draws me back 
more and more when I'm able to participate in things like that. I think what's so awesome in watching both of you, because Chad, you've given your life to this, you know, and Jenna, the same is for you. I, I've seen you in the waters on what we call our celebration service, but it's our baptism service. And I've seen you baptizing women who you have discipled and shared the gospel with. Uh, Chad, the same with you, whether it was former students or other people um, who you have just, God has given you guys eyes to see and it, the motivation is not so I can score some points. The motivation isn't so, you know, I can whatever, you know, but it's because you want to share the love that you've been shown, the joy that comes from that, that feeling that I think all of us as Christians go, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus. I, I don't know. It's like I watch a TV show and there's like a couple fighting on it. And I'm like, I've had that same fight. I don't know what I would do if I didn't have G. Where would I turn, you know, or I, whatever it might be, you know, and you guys take that and you don't just go, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus. And then you're like, flip the channel. You do that. And then you see a person and you say, they don't have Jesus. They, I want them to experience that same wonderful thing. And so I'm, I'm just grateful for that. I think, you know, the other thing to say very quickly is that maybe for the non-believer, that cultural assumption or that assumption that there is this sort of colonizing motivation to it, you know, it's, this is not a recent development. Uh, the church has been evangelizing, living on mission since its inception, you know, and um, to say its core. And so, here's some, I think it's important to know, the church is not Western, and it's not white. Um, The church is, about a quarter of it is in uh, Europe, about a quarter of it, a little more than a quarter of it is in the Americas, a quarter of it is in Africa, and then 13% is in Asia and the Pacific, and that 13% number is actually growing really, really fast. It'll probably mostly be in Asia soon, and there's something about Christianity that it's not culturally bound. It is a multiplying religion that out of love seeks to spread throughout the world. And that's not true of any other religion. If you look at even other proselytizing religions like Buddhism and Islam, they are mostly culturally bound and they are very geographically contained. So while Islam is a fast spreading religion, it mainly exists right there in the Middle East and North Africa. Those are the places that it grows. Uh, And then you have Indonesia right there. Buddhism's off obviously East Asia, and then Hinduism is like right there in India. And so when you see it spread, it's mainly spreading through diaspora, meaning people who have moved to you know, Hinduism grows in America not because people are converting to Hinduism, it's growing because Hindus are moving to here. Same with Islam and other things. My point is to say there is something so core and central to what it means to be a believer, to share your faith with others, that one, it's it has a global impact, and then two, it begs this question then, why do so many Christians neglect that part of, if it is core, we have to ask the question, why do so many Christians then, so many don't neglect, obviously, but why do so many neglect this call, especially the American church? I think we see that, and you guys have experienced that. So maybe that's the next question. What What is... The Bible gives the Great Commission, go, Jesus, as he ascends, says, go therefore, make disciples of all tribes, tongues, and nations, make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we know that as he leaves, he says, this is your mission, the Great Commission. 
why don't why do people neglect that message? What do you think, guys? I think there is a couple of aspects. I think um, some that come to mind initially are just, I mean, there's fear. Right. I think, like I said earlier, like there is like a we lack compassion. We we don't have always the eyes to see people as harassed and helpless. We don't even have the perspective always that everyone has an eternity, mm-hmm. whether that is with the Lord or without Him. Mm. Um, so we don't see people and see that we see them as just in the moment as they are now. And so we lose the urgency and we forget even like what you're saying that it's not Western. And, and I would get to remind my students and even myself that the Bible is not originally written in English. Um, And there are still people who don't have access to God's word, to be able to read God's word, to hear God's word in their, in their language. Mm. Um, The, the work God is not done. And that means we're still work for us to get to enter into. Mm. Um, we're planting seeds um, and God's providing the growth, um, but there's still more to be done. Yeah. Yeah. I think Satan is always at work looking to distract us and to disqualify us mm-hmm. from the work. So it doesn't take much for us to to look around and find reasons not to share with others. Uh, I think we're uncomfortable. I think where there's a fear of hurting the relationship or there's this idea that there's not enough relationship there for me to share. And so you have this idea of I just there'll be a day where we're closer close enough for me to share. Uh, I think for many people they're just not around non-believers. Mm. Uh they they are not putting themselves in a place of outreach or path their their paths aren't crossing with uh with non-believers and so you have all these reasons not to and they are so easy to grab onto. And f- you you can almost find one of those reasons that are always ready and available for you to grab onto of why you wouldn't share with others. But I, I think the biggest one that out of all of those reasons, those are all excuses. It's the compassion piece that mm. Jenna touched on. Like we are just not burdened with it. We have, we have such a short-sighted view of of eternity and our neighbors, our coworkers, our our friends, those that we cross paths with, like we're just not seeing it from that from that lens. I think it's really important. I always try to when we're like having conversations about this, it's like I think all those things are true, but then I try to like paint the picture of what maybe it just looks like for Joe Fithrow. Let's use <laughs> him as an example. Um, and it's like this. This is how I'd set up the life. It's like okay, uh, I'm gonna pretend. So I'm 30 something years old. I have a job. Um, my family depends on that income. Uh, I am taxed. I've got tons of work to do. I need to go. I need to make this thing happen. I've got young kids at home. They're busy. There's a million things going on. Oh yeah. got to get to church. And also maybe I'll do one Bible study a week or something. I want there to, the world is crazy. I want, there to be a good influence on my kids. So I'm going to make sure that they're around other believers. And I'm just, I'm just, I love the word distracted. I'm just distracted. Right. And it's not in, if I'm painting the picture, it's not that people are like, you know, actively against sharing their faith. It's that picture that I just, it's like, if you say, yeah, share your faith at work. It's like, first of all, how, I've I've literally working 60-hour work weeks. I barely see my family anyways, and I've got a project to do. When am I going to stop and say, hey, Bill, you know how if we don't get that thing done in, you know, in five days, we're going to be fired or whatever? That's probably a little dramatic, but like we've got to get this thing done. Hey, read this thing with me or whatever, right? So there's that aspect. It's also like 
that's cool. Am I going to sacrifice, you know, this is, this is probably unstated, but like, am I going to sacrifice my kids for, in their well-being or whatever, you know, that, I think this is the fear piece for, you know, a chance to, you know, butcher a gospel presentation to somebody, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying, so it's like, I, I think we get to speak to the realities when we try to paint that like kind of everyday picture for people. So what would you say to, to that, to that Joe Fithro? What are they missing? What's, what's, you know, like, how do you coax them out of the, Hey dude, you're probably distracted. You're probably, you know, valuing the wrong things. What do you say to that person? Cause that's who I think the majority are. I don't, I, I think they are those people. I think, I mean, I think you're right. I, um, I luckily try to get, to minister to college students where it's like, hey, you have so much time. Um, you, you don't think you do, but you do. Um, and so how do we priorita- prioritize that before prioritizing the other things? Hmm. Um, so try to get them before that. But yeah, that happens. And I think there's this, the fears that go into that, the lack of the compassion, not prioritizing mm-hmm. and seeing that, yes, it is, I mean, there's a sacrifice of time, but it is, it is so worth it. Mm-hmm. It's worth, it's worth it because God is worth it. His glory is, right. he is worthy of that sacrifice. Um, and we believe the lie that there isn't rest in that. There mm-hmm. isn't joy in that. That's really important. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so then, and then there's like, you know, you're talking about, I mean, I don't have kids, but there's the aspect of, we see the example of laboring in the harvest with mm-hmm. our father. So mm-hmm. like what better opportunity to even um, get to minister to children or those around us. Like I do the same thing with my college students. I'm, I'm trying to get them to just witness mm-hmm. um, that interaction so that they could one, be hearing the gospel, but also being seeing and witnessing how that's done. And it's like, yeah, spend time with your kids ministering to mm-hmm. others, sharing the gospel so that one, that they're hearing it and, and two, you are discipling them while you do that. And it's, um, yeah, there, there's definitely time sacrifice. You, you definitely have to reorient some things, but those things, they aren't as important as getting to live out the Great Commission. That's good. Yeah. If there's conviction there, that will lead to action. Yeah. If there's not conviction there, we, we always sacrifice lesser things for greater things. Right. So if you're looking at it, uh, Joe Fithrow's family, I bet if you looked at his family's schedule, what you would see takes precedence in that family are kids' activities, mm-hmm. uh, hobbies, uh, Netflix, ways to relax, ways to uh, chill out, ways to find comfort. Um, you would look at the the way they spend money, the way they spend time, and what you would see is that takes precedence over other areas. Mm-hmm. So with lack of conviction, with lack of seeing the Great Commission and seeing uh, the nations and seeing to share our faith with others, without the conviction there, it's always going to fall down the list and to be the thing that gets cut out. Mm-hmm. And so without the conviction, it's just... It's not going to happen. It's not going to accidentally happen. It's not going to just, you know, I'll fit that in at a later date. Mm -hmm. It it won't. It'll be the thing that always gets cut out. And so with a family that's really busy, you can see if they have the conviction that this matters, that it will take precedence in their schedule. It will take precedence in what they do and how they spend their money and how they spend their vacations and what they do. Um, but it'll also take precedence when they go out to dinner as a family. Mm-hmm. The way they treat the waitress, the, when the waitress comes over, they ask their name. They maybe even ask, how can we pray for you? 
the ways they look at around at the people when they go to a coffee shop, are they walking into there looking for people uh, having already prayed that as they go in there that day, that the Lord may bring about a conversation for them, looking to move are they as they enter in conversations at work in their neighborhood? Are they trying to move these conversations from casual conversations to spiritual conversations to potentially seeing someone who either doesn't know the Lord or has a relationship with God that they can encourage and grow deeper in that? You said a, you guys both said a ton of things there, and so I just want to slow it down because I think for a lot of our listeners, they probably are convicted, and maybe they don't just they don't know the first step. And if they're thinking about maybe this goes back to assumptions, but they're like thinking about how do I even do that? Maybe what's in their mind is like the door-to-door evangelism of the 70s and 80s or something. And they're like, I don't even know if I could knock on my neighbor's door and say, how can I share Jesus with you today? You said a lot of different things. I heard seeing any sort of public engagement. I don't know the right word for it, but but seeing it as an opportunity, right? Conversations right. with others. So like, just maybe maybe for the listener, just a couple of small things. How would you guys talk to, how would you wake them up to the reality, right? So you're saying that some of us are just, hey, they're prioritizing their schedules different. Okay, fine. How do you just start those small steps of waking them up to the reality that God has a, mi- a plan and a mission for their lives? Uh, I'll give a really basic example that right. happened to me today. This is something that anybody could do. I had a meeting today at Corner Bakery, and when I went in, I got there 30 minutes early so I could knock out some emails. And while I was there, I asked the manager what the Wi-Fi password was. He said their Wi-Fi had gone down. I said, uh, I was like, oh, great. So I'm fiddling with trying to find my hotspot, get my (laughs) Wi-Fi up. This woman comes over to my table and she said, hey, I overheard what your comment was. Um, I found out the Wi-Fi password from the store next door. Let me share it with you. So I pulled it up, typed it in. She went back and sat down. For the next 20 minutes, I actually had this ongoing conversation in my head. I felt led that I should go back and talk to this woman. Uh, but I was like, oh, it's uncomfortable. It's kind of creepy. She, you know, all the, all the reasons why... Satan was trying to discredit or disqualify me from going back over there, Um, all the lies. Well, I eventually stand up and reluctantly go over to this woman's table. I asked her, I I commented on how kind she was to help me with the Wi-Fi. She could have just let me, she didn't have to come and help me with that, but she did. And I said, that was abnormal. What made you do something like that? She gave an answer. So now the conversation's moving towards from casual to a little bit more of like, introspective Mm -hmm. on why would she do that? What's made her different? Um, And then I just simply said, hey, I'm about to have a meeting uh, with a friend of mine. At the end of it, we almost always pray. Is there there something we can be praying for you about at the end of our meeting? Just because you were so kind, I just, is there anything going on in your life that I could pray for? And she told me like this really simple thing. Um, I asked her her name. She told me her name. And I was like, that's great. I'm so thankful that you came by and shared with me. I hope you have a great day. It was simple. It was basic. Um, And then my friend and I, at the end of our meeting, we did pray for her. Mm. We prayed that we didn't know if she's a believer. It was a really simple, quick conversation. But at the end of our time together, we prayed for her that the Lord would uh, use uh, more people to come across her path and to grow uh, his relationship with her. And if, if she didn't know him, that she would come to know what life she has in a relationship with him. And it was a real basic thing. It was It wasn't some elite 
Christian activity to do. It was something I even did uh, begrudgingly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I did it, and it, it entered into a spiritual conversation with someone at a coffee shop that I had just met, you know, 20 minutes earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think um, even kind of going back to this picture of like, oh, this is this type of person does this, mm-hmm. or this type, it's for this type of person. Um, we haven't said it even explicitly, but there's the assumption that you have to like go somewhere mm-hmm. outside of where you already are. Mm-hmm. You don't, we don't always feel sent exactly where we are in that coffee shop or in um, just wherever we are day to day. And so there's an aspect of like, there are lost people all around us. And so looking up first, and that's even what you're talking about, Chad, that's what you did. And entering into that conversation, I think we um, feel this, like, this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. I don't want to deviate from this. Um, I need to get in here, get out. And it's like, what if I just cut out, you know, I don't know how long that took, like an extra five minutes um, to look up and and see someone, um, to see them where they're at and see it as an opportunity. Um, Uncomfortable as it can be, and it is uncomfortable sometimes, but there's even what you're saying, there's like this aspect of it's not significant. And I think sometimes that's an an assumption we make too, that like living missionally is always going to be this big, significant, like Mm. super meaningful. There might be people who live this out day to day, really faithfully and never get to baptize anyone. Right. Like that, that's true. There are these little seeds that you can plant. There's these little spaces, um, you can enter into and even thinking about where do I go to get my coffee? Is it where I just know other believers are? Um, Mm -hmm. Am I going to a place where I think there are more lost? Um, That's just one way to even think about how can I put myself around more non-believers to see those opportunities? Because maybe your current coffee shop or something is just where you're seeing other people that you go to church with. And it's like, what if I changed that? What if I entered into a different space and looked up and, and saw who... Um, God was just putting before me. I think we just see that in Acts so much. I'm always so convicted by the apostles in Acts and just seeing them literally looking for where the Holy Spirit was moving. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen where the Holy Spirit is (laughs) Mm. moving enough to where I'm like comfortable enough to walk over to someone and be like, get up and walk. But they do that because they're they're truly looking and seeing and believing that God is moving in these people's lives and they just just get to enter in. And... um, even if that's just a, how can I pray for you or thank you or interacting in that way, even thinking about I, one of the th- examples and I, it came out, popped out to me when you were like, oh, I have my Bible study mm-hmm. to go to. And I'm like, what would it look like to like not go to your Bible study and said, use that hour to live, quote unquote, missionally? Sure. Because I've found that as I'm living missionally, that is the the response in that is like, I always will make time to read my Bible because I'm like, they had this question and I didn't know how to answer right. it. So I'm going to study my Bible. I'm going to look for verses. I'm going to seek this out because I'm challenged with the need to. I, I absolutely have to depend on God's word when I'm living missionally because I can't do it on my own. I can't do it outside of truth. That's really good. It's almost like being on mission, meaning the mission of sharing your faith with others, provides the purpose behind all Mm -hmm. the other disciplines you do. I'm praying because I know I'm going to need to pray for when I'm out there sharing, or I'm studying my Bible because I know I need answers. It's not just about usefulness, obviously. It's like shaping and everything else. But I think a couple of things I would just say is like, 
So we know that there are people who are going to be called to do crazy, go overseas, you know, just big, whatever those big things, and I'm doing air quotes around big (laughs) things. We know that that's what people are going to do. And that's amazing. And I think there are people who are called to that. And you may very well be one of them, and God's going to lead you there. But we're all called as part of, as our, you know, part of our faith as believers. We're all called to be on mission and to share our faith. And I heard you guys say a couple of things, and I just want to reiterate one. I think one of the easiest ways you can start to do that, to have eyes for where the Spirit's leading, to start to hear from the Spirit in terms of that coaxing, Chad, that you talked about, oh man, something won't leave me alone, is just to start your morning off in prayer and absolutely ask for things and, and, um, and, and, you know, talk to God about what you're grateful for. But one would just be the simple prayer of asking, God, would you give me an opportunity to share today? And what that does is, one, he'll answer that prayer, but two, I think it helps you to have eyes, to kind of wake up to there's a different reality. And that's one simple step. And then over time, as you're praying that prayer and God's giving you more opportunities, Maybe then you think about reordering your life in a different way. Hey, I'm not going to do that Christian sports league that all my kids are in. I'm going to just do the whatever local one is, and I'm going to use that time to try to get to know some families. And, you know, you start to take the bigger steps. Like anything else, I don't think anybody's expecting anyone to jump into the deep end right away. I think it's those small, simple steps that sort of get you your toes in the water, and you get to see what God is doing, and it's so incredible. And the other one I would just say is that this idea of gospel fluency that we talk about sometimes, what Chad just did, it's like, pray for the opportunity to share the gospel, but don't miss the little ones that are right in front of you. I mean, I think about it all the time. It's like, if you talk to a friend Maybe they're not a believer. Maybe they've walk, walked away from the Lord, but it's something simple like, hey, man, how's it going? And maybe they answer and say, man, it's been tough with my wife or whatever. Just I got in a fight or whatever. It's so easy from there to move the conversation spiritual. It's like, just don't miss the little opportunities. And it's 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 actually not that hard to just say, man, I know marriage can be really hard. What I love about marriage is this, and when I fight with my wife, this is how we sort of make up. How do you do that? You know, it's just those little. It's it's actually having a curiosity and an inquisitiveness about somebody else. Chad, the way you talked to the lady and said, "Hey, um, why would you do that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, just it's that simple curiosity about others, and and that can be with the person who checks out groceries, the gym you work out at, the you know, the coach of your kid's soccer team or whatever it might be, you know, but just looking for in those conversations, always thinking about the gospel fluency of moving that next conversation. And the best place to practice that is if you have kiddos is with kids, or you could do it with your friends and just be like, hey, I want to practice like trying to move things towards the gospel. Can we do that with each other? And yeah, I think like maybe at Bible study, if you're at Bible study, it's like, hey, can we take the last 10 minutes to like just have conversation and to practice this on each other. I think like anything else, just viewing it as it's a skill you have to build, right? Um, And, you know, there's maybe some theological problems talking about it that way, but I, I do think it's true. I think there's a, that you can work on that gospel fluency. You can work on those muscles of being able to take conversations and move them in spiritual directions of seeing opportunity to share the gospel. Right. You're never going to go from zero to a hundred. Right. Uh, it will come with small faithful steps. As you enter into this, you'll get better at it. You'll get more comfortable at it. And it's really built off conviction and prayer. Uh, like 
if you don't have the conviction, if you're not praying for this leading up to it, then really you're you're asking something that you're doing no work to get ready to do, and it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I've I've heard prayer described as it's not the pre work, it's not the lesser work, it is the greater work mm-hmm. when it comes to this. And so, for us to enter into just heavy, concentrated seasons of prayer, asking the Lord to use us in mighty ways. It is so powerful. And so if you have a heart for a neighborhood, if you have a heart for a people group, if you have a heart for your neighborhood, to begin by just simply prayer walking that neighborhood mm. or that that place of business or, um, in, or that school and just asking the Lord to raise up uh, opportunities, uh, raise up ways to share with others. And you'll be surprised at like what comes out of that. Uh, for me, I I started prayer walking a neighborhood a few years ago. It was a it was a neighborhood that fed into the school that I was teaching at at the time, and it was within a matter of maybe a month later, one of my students reached out to me and just said, "Hey, I have something I want to share with you." I met up with a student, and they shared some hard things they were going through. And from that, we started like a group of students meeting together, studying the word, having dinner together, doing life together. And that all came out of a season of prayer, asking the Lord to do something. That prayer was way more important than the work. It's like the the prayer prepped me and got me ready for uh, this work. And the prayer was the greater work out of all of that. So yeah, even thinking about when Christ sees the harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, he turns to his disciples. And I always miss this for mm. like years. Um, but his command isn't go into the harvest. His command is therefore pray to mm. the Lord of the harvest. And that proceeds going and then he sends them out um, because the prayer one serves as you want this to see this happen. And I'm remembering that it's God who is the Lord of the right. harvest. I, I don't have a say a say in this. Um, and two, prayer changes my view of that, that harvest. Prayer yeah. will change my heart, my eyes, and God's going to do that work because He is the Lord of the harvest. And with that, I think prayer fights against the fears that we have. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to, like, I have three truths. When, when the fears are, just, are coming at me, I have three truths that I try to go back to because I'm like, I know these are true. And in this moment right now, I am teetering on doubt and fear and I just I don't want to do this thing. I don't and the some of those truths I, I think it would be helpful to share. Uh Second Corinthians nine six, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Another truth that I go back to, and a lot of this I got from the book Spiritual Multiplication uh, in the Real World by Bob McNabb, and it's a great, great book um, that I highly recommend as you want to grow in this. Uh, The second truth is don't disqualify yourself in your mind from a work for which Jesus died to qualify you for. Um, And then the last truth that I go back to is the work itself depends on who Jesus is and not who you are. And so those truths to me just bring me comfort of like, I can step into this space. Um, and I know there are things that are true when the enemy's trying to to distract or discredit or you know disqualify me. Those are really helpful. And I know guys, we could talk forever about this thing that is so dear to you guys and that you're so passionate about, but that is also central to our faith. And so just to wrap up, say, um, you know, there are so many 
different misconceptions that many of us bring to the table. We don't have to be perfect to share our faith. We don't have to have some special power to share our faith. We don't even have to actually overcome all our fears. I think what we need to do is just start by praying that God would give us eyes to see the lost around us and just give us an opportunity to share one simple thing today. And so that's my challenge to you. And uh, I'll be praying along with you um, that God would uh, do something really incredible. So thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This podcast is made possible because of a team of people behind the scenes, Chris Sterrett, Chelsea Conway, Mandy Page, and Brad Weigel. We couldn't do it without them. If you're a follower of the podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can message us on social media. You can also support us on our Patreon page. Check out the show notes for more information. See you next time. Thank you.